Welcome back to the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. I hope you're having a fine, fine day. The Difference Makers series at the Pod of DC is where we spotlight and celebrate healthcare heroes. On this second episode of our three-part spotlight series on the Behavioral Health Program at Mary Center in Washington, DC, we meet Tiffany Boykin, a licensed mental health therapist within the school-based mental health program at Mary Center. Tiffany shares her approach to her practice, how it's evolved over the course of the pandemic, and how she discovered her calling to help people at a very young age growing up in the nation's capital. Here's Tiffany Boykin. Enjoy. Over 90% of teenagers, I think as of 2015, had a smartphone of some kind. Are are you encountering that, that a lot of what your daily conversations are around are centered on anxiety, depression-related symptoms and signs from use of, of these tools that are, again, supposed to help our daily lives and organize us and make us more um, communicative? For my caseload, I'm in the high school, and I I did see that when I used to be in the middle school, anxiety around issues related to using their devices to access social media. Actually, in ninth grade, I had a few ninth grade students that had similar issues with cyberbullying, that type of thing. But my older students, the the number one issues that they have anxiety around is is academic school-related. Mm. or or relationship, family-related type of mm. things, and then trauma-related type of things. Now, I do have a few cases that I've gotten from the clinic when we were in the process of just trying to make sure that we clear the wait list so there's not such a long wait list to get in to see someone. So some mm-hmm. of us that were assigned to school-based also took some people from the clinic. And I did have a situation where because that person, a few of the people that I see work with people that are going through some challenging times, but they also were going through challenging times as the person that is supporting the people that are going through challenging times. So, yeah, you know, but I don't think there's been one person who hasn't been touched by the the trauma of the day of right. twenty of twenty twenty, you know, in some way, we are all impacted. It's kind of like nine eleven, you know. Mm-hmm. We sure. Were all impacted by nine eleven. I mean, because how many times did we see that video over and over again? So, being a school based mental health therapist, school has been kind of removed from that <laughs> in a way, as far as the physicality of it. W- what has that looked like for you in in the last year or so? You know, with the pandemic. Okay, I'll take you back to that day, that Friday. I think it was the 12th or the 13th. Almost uh, a year ago, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So that day we got noticed uh, that we were going to be closed. At that time, it was ex- anticipated that it would be two weeks, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. <laughs> um, we, Mary Center already had a telehealth service, and we had uh, a part of our intake packet was a consent form for that. And we, were already equipped to go with the Zoom platform. And so for me, I just basically, I knew my caseload. I knew where my students were in class. I created a one-pager on how to download Zoom. And I, I scheduled everyone for their same exact schedule that they had for that week to see me the following week just by telehealth. And so for my caseload, everyone has something scheduled that very next week. 
So for the first two weeks, it was seamless. Everybody knew what was happening, at least with Mary Center. You know, we were basically consistent. At least my caseload was consistent in their care. And then it took a while for the schools to kind of like to get on board with what's happening. And then slowly, my, my caseload, they weren't as available because they started to get work from teachers and they started to have have to have things to do. And then they were scheduling classes. And so then I had to re- readjust to the school's adjustment to find out, well, where can I still fit in so that the students can get their needs met? So there was a little bit of adjustment, I would say. April, May. And then because Mary Center is open year round, I still offer services for students that were available to continue to meet um, during the summer. And during that time when I was trying to figure out how to engage with my students in April, May, I developed some interventions that I thought would be helpful you know, to them because I was already doing some group. I was doing an expressive arts group, And I was doing what's called a girls group where we really was focusing on coping strategies for anxiety and depression. And, you know, what was great is that I sent everyone home with the materials that we already had because everyone had their own individual oil pastels. They had their own journals. And so I sent them home with enough art supplies so that we can do expressive arts group for at least four weeks. And so we did that, and then we transitioned to doing virtual art, but that wasn't as fun as doing the hands-on art. And then there was a need for them to be more responsive to school. So the the groups kind of like disintegrated towards the end of the year, but the students were engaged. And so I created a movement for mental health group, which really focused on students coming in being able to check in with where they were at that moment in terms of their thoughts and their feelings. And then me introducing them to a mindfulness exercise and then movement, which is basically yoga because I'm, I'm a certified yoga teacher. So we did yoga for about 20 minutes and then mm. we did a, a reflection of like, where are you now? What do you feel now? And 100% of the time there was a, a shift that happened. And so I did that until the school year ended. Wow. I mean, it takes a lot of ingenuity on the therapist part, too, to spark those different types of therapies. Is it considered kind of out of the box to just bring on things like expressive arts and this movement for mental health and those kinds of programs? Do your patients or upon intake, will they know that you kind of think that way and that you develop these things almost on the fly, right? Because we weren't really, we had been hearing about pandemic and we've been hearing about things that might be coming, but just to use your clinical skills that way creatively, is that kind of the norm out there? Or do you think that's something kind of unique to your practice? We know that there is evidence and research that shows that those mind-body interventions are effective. And mm-hmm. the Mayo Clinic has produced a lot of research related to that, as well as the, the National Center for Complementary Medicine. NIH actually put out a lot of research on those type of things. So initially, I thought I was the only one that was doing mindfulness as a part of what I do, but there's mindfulness and skills so in schools. That's a whole organization and practice of doing mindfulness in schools. 
schools. There's a whole practice of doing yoga in schools. Actually, that's how I got my training is that um, I read an article in EdSurge talking about this program that provides training to teachers on how to bring about social emotional learning with mindfulness and yoga. And I was so excited about this that I called the founder and said, I want in and signed up for that teacher training program. And it's specifically for teachers in schools. And so that was something that was already there. And then there's also John Kabat-Zinn talked about mindfulness and with the mindfulness-based stress reduction program that he incorporated into the medical setting. And, And there's tons of research on that. Psychotherapy Networkers, where I found my kindred spirit, where people that were clinicians, psychologists, social workers, therapists in general, that were incorporating, integrating these other complementary practices into what they do. And so, you know, I had done a training years ago using Jung's work on mandalas, and she developed the MARI test, but there's a lot of research around what went in to create the MARI test. And so I got training from one of the researchers that worked with her to develop that on understanding mandalas and how to use that as an art-based intervention and therapy. And I started incorporating that as well as music and then the essential oils and things of that nature for people that didn't have allergies or and were not sensitive to them. And then when I came to Mary Center, there's a whole crew <laughs> of us that are now you know, I met um, someone that had been doing yoga before I came on board, and I was so excited. But she's the pioneer at Mary Center. But yeah, so there are several of us that incorporate mindfulness and yoga into interventions for the people that we serve. It wasn't traditional. It's not traditional. Mm-hmm. Again, the patient population that you serve, which are teenagers. It's certainly become more of a thing. And I think that's what makes me very hopeful about, you know, my kids and future generations is diet and exercise, mindfulness, yoga, things like that seem to be more mainstream now. I discovered yoga through my wife in my 40s. How is it received from teenagers where looking cool and doing the norm and not straying too much from uh, the status quo is kind of the thing to do as a teenager, right? Because you really don't want to be too different. You don't want to be poked at, hey, is yoga just for girls and that kind of thing? I mean, how is it received from your patient population? Well, it depends on who the person is, right? I will tell you that where I am now, the majority of my cases are people of color. I had one teen guy to do the group. And he said it was relaxing, but he would prefer to do more dynamic movement, like movement that increases your heart rate and gets you moving because he didn't feel comfortable with that because it was new and it's different. And he does not see himself as a young African-American male doing that. And he doesn't see anybody else doing that. And I'm an African-American female introducing him to this. So that was different for him. However, I can tell you in our one-on-one sessions, he's definitely receptive to the the pranayama, which is the breathing exercises, because he finds them very effective. But I do think that for people who have not had exposure, who do not see people that look like them doing it, they may be a little bit put off. So I have seen that 
in particularly with my school. However, that doesn't stop me from putting it out there, introducing these movements that can definitely help give people relief and to help them get on the other side of whatever they're struggling with. So the majority of the people who are consistently participating in the movement for mental health groups tend to be the young ladies. They love it. They keep coming back for more. So yeah, there is a little bit of stigma. Most of my students that I serve are from Ward 7 and 8, but there is yoga there, Mm -hmm. but it's just not everywhere. So it is different. And I think there's a lot more work to be done with that. But I approach it from the wellness model. Years ago, I was asked to do a program for youth who smoke marijuana. And at that time, there was a lot of research on wellness and using wellness as a model to promote recovery. Mm -hmm. And so you look at eight dimensions of wellness. So it's just not about emotional well-being. It's about everything and how it impacts each other. So recognizing that if I am doing something that's unhealthy for my body, Mm -hmm. I can compensate that by doing things that are healthy for my body. So if I'm going to choose to smoke marijuana, then I can choose to do these other things to improve my health. And so I, I present it in a way that will allow people to find other ways or other options for getting what they hope to get, which is a sense of relief. At this time, I was at an alternative school and I actually had a class on, it's called wellness and self-discovery. And everyone in my class had uh, a problem with um, coming to school smoking marijuana. So I started with introducing them to the singing bowl, which is something that's neutral. And everyone had the challenge and they wanted to get it. And so from the singing bowl, then we got to focus in on your breathing, that type of meditation, and to experiencing more meditation without the singing bowl and with just essential oil. And then we were just being able to focus on your breathing. At that time, I wasn't uh, certified as a yoga instructor, so we did traditional movement, but we did movement as an intervention so that they can see how, at that time, we were doing 25 jumping jacks, and then we did stretching. But they still saw the impact of where they were at the beginning, after the intervention, and how they transform afterward. So I start in a place that doesn't go straight there. I try to make the logic for it based on what their goals are, based on where they are as an individual. So it's meaningful to them. And then I also share information about research. I always share information that makes it valid so that they can see that there is people who have done this and have found this because everything that you share with them, you want to make sure that is grounded and that they have buy-in on it. It has to land somewhere for them. Is it something where you're not trying to steer away or negate or eliminate maybe something that they feel currently is working in some way, shape, or form that could actually be helpful for them? You had mentioned marijuana, and there's so much now focus on that in medical and therapeutic ways for chronic pain and other things. Is your goal to work them away from those things, which we all know that smoking and inhalation and those things obviously are damaging to the body, but for the mind, there could be benefit there? I would say that it is specific for the individual, right? Because who am I to say that this isn't good for you and not to do it? Because what my role is, is to help you understand what is it that you're doing and what are you getting out of doing this? How is it serving you? That's my role is for you to be informed about how is this serving you? Okay. And 
do you have any problems with this? Is it impacting you in any way? So if someone comes to me and they're having anxiety and they feel paranoid, right, we're going to try to go back and discover, well, where, when did this start? What is this related to? If the individual discovers that I'm having anxiety and I'm paranoid, it increases when I do these other behaviors then we will consider like, well, if this is causing the problem, you know, is that something you're willing to adjust? Or if they're having a problem with focusing and concentrating, they can't get tasks completed. Mm-hmm. It's up to them to determine, like, is this something that they're willing to adjust? You know, we want to do harm reduction if it is harmful. If it's not harmful, then we're going to address the issues that they present with because it, it may be a non-issue altogether. And harmful meaning to self and to others? Is that kind of how you define harmful? Or is it physiological? Because again, inhalation of smoke is not healthy for the lungs, right? But they're not coming to see me because of that, right? They're coming to see me generally because of a, a social emotional mm-hmm. situation, right? Or, and, you know, something that is really an issue for their their sense of feeling at ease and at peace or their sense of feeling a sense of contentment. Something is interfering with that or something is interfering with their ability to feel like a sense of satisfaction or, you know, competence or efficacy in their lives. So so we address what the presenting issue is. Mm-hmm. You know, we address what they come for. And what I have realized is that When someone comes to you with a need and they get recovery from that situation and they have improvement, they may disappear. But if they have another situation that arises, they had a positive encounter with mental health so that they are more likely to come back. And so what I try to do is I try to create relationships that are focused on the participant in front of me and what it is that they are seeking and what it is that they are looking for based on their perceived need. And that doesn't mean I don't give them psychoeducation. I give everyone psychoeducation so they can understand things. I talk about, you know, the limbic system. I talk about the hippocampus and learning and memory and all that stuff, if that's an issue. And if they choose to continue to to use their substance because they find benefit in that, then we'll try to figure out other options for them to accomplish their goal. Gotcha. I am always like focused on the participant. My values and beliefs are not put on them. I help them explore and express their values and beliefs as they seek recovery. I receive the referral and then I do the intake, which is explaining Mary Center, who we are, what we do, the policies and procedures and enrollment and care. And then we do the diagnostic interview and assessments, and then we do a treatment plan collaboratively with the participant based on their goals and things of that nature. And from there, there's a collaborative approach that we do in terms of accomplishing their goals. And we do assessment. Every session, there's a beginning, there's a checking in or where the person is, and then we have an intervention, and then we do an assessment at the end of that conversation. So the assessment is an ongoing process from every session. But then we also look at the assessments that we've done at the beginning to see whether or not there's anything that's shifted. And then we move forward from that. In terms of the the termination from services, when you're in a, a school setting, and it depends on the individuals, some students start to forget 
that they have they had therapy. And that's to me an indicator that there's either a competing demand or there's some improvement happening or we're at a place where there's some dissonance and it's difficult to face or to, you know, that place where are we going to make a change or am I going to stay the same? Where where am I going to go? Mm-hmm. It's almost like this trembles, these rumblings that happen on the, in the internal of letting go of the old and embracing something new. This whole point of change where things start to kind of like move and sometimes that movement is is very subtle and easy sometimes that movement is kind of like a a little rupture like a little Mm -hmm. uh earthquake that's uncomfortable and depending on how that person responds you always want them to feel that it's okay to be where you are and if, if this is as far as you're ready to go at this moment that's okay you can always come back and and that usually happens if they start to miss appointments and things of that nature and because there are so many people who are seeking care you want to have those honest conversations and you know give people time to decide if this do they want to continue or not and if they decide well I want to focus on something else right now I'm really good because I made so many improvements in this area and then we'll we'll close their case and then they can always come back but there for some people where there's improvement happening, but they still need to continue care. So they would probably reduce the level of interaction. So instead of seeing you every week, they may drop down to to bi-weekly and then eventually to check-ins and then eventually to case closure. So it's kind of a, a case-by-case situation, but we try to make sure that we are having those conversations so, so that people can know it's okay if you feel like, you know, right now is not the time you can always come back a typical school setting, you have an office right there in the school. Uh, Absolutely. So they can come by. And so being in the school right there, what have the challenges been? I mean, with that, I guess, what hasn't been, I guess, the most ideal in that? Or, or do you find being embedded kind of in that environment when you walk the halls, you know, you see them in their environment and you can take in maybe how things have been going and how their treatment's going just by those interactions, just by, by seeing them on, on school grounds? When we're in the building, I do have an office on campus, but it is school. So you can't drop by if you don't have an appointment. So I am the clinic in the school, so to speak. They have to be in designated areas when they're supposed to be in those areas. So there's no like, oh, I don't have an appointment. I'm just going to drop by and say, hey, Ms. Boykin. Yeah. Uh, that, you can't do that so much. You can drop me a text, you know, that kind of thing. But you just can't just drop by because school is very orderly. They have their classes that they must attend. They have to have an excuse not to be in class, that kind of thing. And the school that I work in is they're very achievement oriented. So yes, you should be where you're supposed to be. If you're not where you're supposed to be, we're looking for you. Right. Um, <laughs> that kind of thing. So so not really. They, they can't really leisurely just come on by. How did you get to the point where this was your passion? This was your calling? Was it something that you experienced as a child growing up? Was it your environment? Was it family? Was there maybe just following in the footsteps of others doing this that drew you to the field? Well, I, I think it's in my family to be in the helping profession. Okay. Um, I like that. Helping there profession. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th- there is a, a line of women in my family that were in the medical field. And when I was in high school, I actually did the vocational track for a couple of years to start study nursing uh-huh. here in D.C. at Martha Washington. So I did start off in that track. 
because I didn't know that I could get scholarships to go to college. I thought I had to work and go to college. So I thought, oh, I'll do nursing and then work my way through college that way. Mm-hmm. But no, I got scholarships. And so I, I stopped the nursing and then went to school because I said, I want to do, I want to work with children and do psychology. In high school, I took a sociology and psychology course and I was just intrigued. So that's how I figured that out. But when I was younger, I I was this person, kids in the neighborhood always came to my front porch and we would do art. We, we would play games. <laughs> for some reason, there was this like magnet that I had. If animal, I had it for animals and for kids. I can't explain it. <laughs> so I was that person on the front porch. When I would go away to school, I would come back. My porch was the place to hang out. And so that went on. And then I had a vision in my mind and it was so much happening. I'm, I'm a native from Washington. I was born in the 70s. So in the 80s, we had a lot of problems with violence in the city, yeah. different drugs in the cities. There's a lot happening that I observed and that I experienced as, as a person of color living in a city. And I just had this feeling that I wanted to make a difference in my community. I just remember, I think I was at a bus stop and I just remember thinking within myself that I want to make a difference in my community. So I knew I wanted to come back home to DC to to live and work. And that kind of like just led me. I just saw myself, actually I had a, a vision and I had these cards made up of like going to the barbershop and working with people that got released from jail, like trying to help people to get their lives on the track that will allow them to be productive and happy and independent without having a lifestyle that will lead to negative consequences. So that's just something that just landed in my heart. I think that I just wanted to make a difference. And then, you know, I started out uh, at the state of Virginia working with the Department of Rehabilitative Services. Uh, One of my girlfriends actually had just gotten a a job as an assistant principal at an alternative school and said, we need therapists. (laughs) And so that's how it started for me being in schools. And I've been in schools since. I mean, when I came to Mary Center, I was looking at Mary Center before Mary Center was looking at me, of course. Several years ago, I was like, oh, I would love to work there. It's not far from my house. And then it was the perfect combination of being the clinical part and in the school. So it was just perfect fit for me to to be where I am now. And then I've always been a person that was really always moved by my heart in a way. And I don't know if that makes sense. I just wanted to do something that was healing and helpful. Sounds like this has been really a great place to partner up at Mary Center and provide school-based mental health program support. I imagine what also you appreciate is just not only in the diversity of your experiences that you have and the teens that you work with, but just the field itself and how much there is to incorporate, you know, where obviously you have your evidence-based practices and just being creative enough to incorporate that and have the freedom to do that. Yeah, the team and and the leadership of the school-based mental health program has been amazing. I mean, the training that we have the opportunity to explore, I'm just so grateful that I had the opportunity to be a part of the team. And I learned so much from everyone, you know, because everyone is, is doing what works with the students that they serve where they are. 
Yeah, it's, it's just been amazing. It totally has changed the way that I work. I share a lot more of, of what I'm doing and, and what's working with the students. And it's just been very beneficial to be able to collaborate with my team and to learn with my team as we, you know, learn new things together. And we expand, we're growing, we're, we're going into new schools. And so I think right now we're at capacity with the grant um, in terms of the number of places where we can be. But it has definitely um, improved my work as a clinician by being on a team with Mary Center. Oh, that's awesome. Just having those resources as a parent and with kids coming up and approaching the kind of the preteen time frame, and then there's challenges ahead, but knowing that there's just great creative clinicians out there like yourself, what, what a comfort that is to parents and just hopefully they're staying up on that, knowing these resources are out there for them and they're accessible and how Mary Center does. I mean, obviously working with families, you know, even if they don't have health insurance, helping them apply for public benefits or providing their care at a discount. I mean, it's, it's such a vital service that Mary Center is providing the D.C. metro area. I think that what I realize about Mary Center, too, is that they had a social change model that worked with my philosophy and my way of, of, of conceptualizing the person. Because when I said the wellness approach, so Mary Center has the, the social change model where they have the health care, they have the social services and education all together. So mm-hmm. they, are, they definitely have that comprehensive approach. And I think Mary Center is also committed to serving diverse pop, the diversity of the city. City now, and so making efforts to look inward and to do some whatever changes need to happen, so that Mary Center could be perceived as being an organization that is serving, you know, the diversity of the city. Because traditionally, it was founded to serve the Latinx uh, community, but that has expanded. Right. Yeah, and you know, I was thinking about that throughout our conversation about, about exactly what you just mentioned, kind of that social change model, healthcare, education, social services, and then you in your own practice, obviously working on tried and true evidence based practices and therapies, but then bringing in things, expressive arts and yoga and wellness, mindfulness. What a great team and and what a great place to call home professionally, certainly, as as I I was thinking about that throughout this entire conversation, actually. Your approach and that creative approach and then Mary Center's kind of all-encompassing approach, right, to touch on everything because they are all interconnected, social, emotional, educational. It's hard to have one be solid if the others are, are, are falling apart. So they really need to work together. And every child and teen deserves that, that chance at equal opportunity to be able to develop themselves socially, emotionally, educationally in a safe and secure environment and its services like what you provide, what Mary Center provide that really help us. So I really want to thank you so much for being on the pod, Tiffany. This has been wonderful just hearing about your road to making a difference doing what you do as a school-based mental health therapist. Really appreciate all the work you're doing and excited to hear that these services are going to continue and, and expand even more so. Well, thanks so much for the invite. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Absolutely. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. To learn more about the school-based mental health program at Mary Center, visit marycenter.org, click on Behavioral Health and Children and Teens. Thanks again for listening to the Difference Makers series at the Pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon.